Hey, it's Investiva and your coach Kiana Danielle. Welcome to Diva on the Block, where we take you to the back streets of this whole blockchain, Bitcoin, and crypto shenanigans to help you get a better understanding of what really is going on and how you can take advantage of it. Today, I'm super excited to have Michael Casey, the chairman of CoinDesk's advisory board and a Wall Street Journal veteran. In this episode of Diva on the Block, we'll discuss trust issues on the block how Bitcoin stands on something far bigger than what you've been thinking, and what international problems blockchain technology is really solving. Let's rock the block. Michael and I met at a blockchain event and I was instantly attracted to his knowledge about the technology behind blockchain. And I thought to myself, I must have him on the block. Michael Casey is the chairman of Coindesk's advisory board. After 18 years at the Wall Street Journal, he is now at MIT Media Labs Digital Currency Initiative and also consults for businesses on the challenges and opportunities in this emerging technology. He has authored four books. My favorite ones include The Age of Cryptocurrency, How Bitcoin and the Blockchain Are Challenging the Global Economic Order, and The Truth Machine, The Blockchain and the Future of Everything. Michael, welcome to the block. Hi, Kiana. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into this whole blockchain thing? And just walk us through. Yeah, so um, we actually never met, but I, you know, covered Forex, foreign exchange, um, for much of my life. And so I was aware of some of your work back in the early days of currency trading that I was covering. Back in the, you know, pretty much in the year sort of 2001, right through to 2015, a lot of currency coverage. I lived in Argentina um for a while so that became a defining part of it but a lot of macro economic currency coverage so in about 2013 i went to write i, I used to write columns i think it was a columnist for the journal writing about macro economic themes and i stumbled across bitcoin I thought, oh, that's an interesting topic let me write about that and i looked at it it was at the time when the bitcoin price was spiking because of the cyprus crisis in 2013 and I wrote a very ordinary column. Um, it was just, what is this weird thing kind of kind of column, basically. I had no idea what it was. I didn't understand it. I didn't write a terrible column, but it was average. And then I got invited out for dinner, really, by a number of fairly prominent um, leaders in the space, entrepreneurs in the Bitcoin space. Um, and I was stunned at who was there. They were you know, prominent, successful venture capitalists. There was also a, a former head of the C of the CFPB, the interim head of that, uh, Raj Date. Uh, there were, um, you know, so Barry Silbert was there, Jeremy Allaire, a lot of folks who've become very much leading lights in this. And that's when the penny dropped, as we say in Australia and Britain, the light bulb went off, where I suddenly realized that what was so interesting about this was not, in fact, that it was a currency that might challenge the dollar or yen or whatever that everyone thinks of it as, but rather there was an underlying system for tracking exchanges underneath that that didn't rely on a centralized record keeper. And I suddenly saw that Bitcoin stood for something far bigger than everything that you know we were thinking of. And it became very relevant to me because I lived in Argentina for a long time and seen, seen the complete breakdown of that financial system because of the absence of trust in how Argentina manages its financial institutional architecture with its people and so there was this dependence upon these institutions that had failed them so the trust had broken down 
And the idea that, that the record keeping function, which is absolutely critical to all institutional management of money and value, could now be actually managed not by an entity that I would have to trust, but rather a broad decentralized network of, uh, of parties using a protocol that none of them could control. That became really exciting for me in the context of everything that I understood to be the problem of these developing nations. So I got very interested in not really what it means for us in places like the United States, but much more in terms of the opportunities that lay in places that have very much broken institutional structures, Latin America, which I was very familiar with, and Southeast Asia, where I spent a lot of my time as well. So that's really what got me into it, the interest in the developing world solution. And that's it. Down the rabbit hole I went, like lots of people do, and you start to open your eyes to a whole range of other trust problems that exist in society and in, in our economy and how some of these concepts could be really valuable for resolving them. So that I absolutely agree with you. And that's the reason why I, it really resonated to me because I'm from Iran and that is where I was like, okay, if my dad was just that, had all his assets in cryptocurrency back in uh, back in the day during the revolution, he would have been okay. Like he wouldn't have lost all his money to the government. And it really does solve a problem that I would say a lot of Americans don't understand or don't relate to. But there's also a lot of trust issues with the blockchain technology itself. We have hackers, we have frauds and scammers and criminals using it. So how do you see this kind of balance out? Uh, like the, the trust? Yeah. yeah. No, it's a very important point because um, you're essentially transferring the trust that you have in an institution, a government or a bank or you know a, some other record keeper uh, to the protocol right um you have to trust that and and the reality is that what's happened uh in the sense that the protocol and and all the all the kind of applications that are built on top of it are not yet at a level where it's easy for people to interact with it's easy for them to store their keys or easy for them to to build exchange systems and so what's happened is that these other new forms of third parties these new trusted entities have come on the top of that and have started to provide services. And that's where the hacking happens, right? It's not that Bitcoin has been hacked or that some of these other bigger ones have been hacked, but rather that the hacking happens at, yet again, another institutional problem. So I see this as an evolution. The reality is um, it will take some time before we push this technology out to a level that it can scale and be accessible to everybody on, on a mass level. Um, and, and that's very disappointing to people because they just think, I must have it now, right? We live, we live in this age of, of uh, expectation. But think about how long it took to develop the internet from being, you know, something that you we all remember, the, four, the not the 28, but the 14.4, you know, uh, before oh, per second. You know, some picture just sort of eventually hit the bottom of your screen as it, as it downloaded, yeah. right? All of that network capability, and that was actually relatively far on in the process because the internet was first being built in the 1960s, the very beginning of the 1960s. So um, it took you know 60 years to where we are now. Um, and unfortunately, the thing about about blockchain technology is that um, not only is it something where everyone's expecting value now, uh, there's money on the ground, right? There's actually literally money because Bitcoin is worth something and so forth. And so there's an enormous amount of pressure and scrambling for activity. And as a result, I think people stuff gets rushed out and there's attacks and hacks. But this, by the way, is just how, unfortunately, we learn. This is a this is the very nature of open, you know, uh, a self-healing system. This is a complex system with nobody in control. Where we lose is 
part of the failing fast process. And there's an enormous amount of, of open source development going on to solve many, many, many of these problems. Um, so I, I tell people to have patience. I tell people to just put a little bit of risk money into it. Um, you know, whatever you feel like you can afford to lose just to be comfortable with it, to be, to have some exposure to where it's all going, to get used to it. But yeah, I mean, it's still volatile and that's the inherent nature of this early stage development that we're in. So again, like I remember back in the day when internet and email was becoming popular and my parents friends were like, why would anybody use an email? Just send a fax or like it was boring. And now you're like, who uses fax? Right. So it definitely have a point there that things can evolve and we definitely do need time. But the point that you made that right now, because uh, like these third party entities are coming in to make it regulated, it's kind of an irony. It's like a catch 22 because people want the third parties to feel safe, but these very third parties are creating all the problems. So do you think that when blockchain does become mainstream, we are eventually going to really see no third party involved at all. And it's just going to be peer to peer distributed. Well, there's no such thing as a trustless system, right? We need trust. In fact, we'd be terrible if it, if it was just an AI machine running all of our interactions, that there was no capacity to actually build value. I think that trust is where the value gets extracted. So it's really complex. You've got to think about where the business models will come in. It, the minute a business model is created on top of this, there will be some level of trust. What we are trying to do, though, is to um, automate away uh, all of the opportunities for excessive rent seeking and the gatekeeping roles that can really lead to monopoly power. I mean, we have a very broken internet system with, you know, Facebook and Google and Apple and, and uh, Amazon essentially running, running the entire internet, right? And that's because we haven't been able to figure out how to trust each other to work. So we needed an app, something like a blockchain, you know, 30 years ago. Instead, we didn't get that and we ended up having to build these intermediaries in the middle of it. Um, so we will, I think, uh, get to a point where the user experience is better. It's much, there's a much more, there's a much stronger cryptographic protection of our private keys and there's a much better and easier key recovery mechanism, which is important. Um, and there will be um, scalability. That is to say that uh, the system will actually be able to handle a lot more transactions than it does now, which will also add to the user experience. And, and much of that will be decentralized away because you'll have uh, smart oracles that are blind to where the information is coming from, but are cryptographically proven to be true and a whole lot of math that you can use to bring security in a, in a more uh, user environment, user friendly environment. Um, so we will get to a point where a lot of the actual, um, you know, straightforward value exchange is going to be more peer to peer, but there'll be services that will continue to be important. We need to find each other, for example. So market making as a function, um, hopefully not in a rent seeking way that what is in the way that Wall Street operates, but rather as market making as a service. Um, will become something that we continue to rely upon. Find me a buyer, find me a seller, right? Um, and if not, step in the middle. Those are still things that I think there's a, a critical role for a bank or for another financial institution, for example. Um, they'll still need to be, um, you know, people who make things that are pretty and easy and con content uh, uh, that, 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 that matters, um, that is, you know, essentially a part of all of this as well. There's there's always going to be somebody on top. What we want um, is a model 
in which no single party can amass enough power to take control and manage my, you know, take control of my data and my and and my and my currency essentially. I think that's that's a really really great point. So I know that we're we're running out of time here, but I know that you're now very deeply involved in the blockchain and you're advising a bunch of people. So can you tell us a little bit background of what exactly you are doing in the field? Uh, yeah, I really have a, an eclectic interest. Um, so when I, at MIT, where I paired back my time to launch my own company, I'll get into that in a minute. But what I was doing and I'm still indirectly involved in was uh, uh, systems for managing um, financing of energy projects. So uh, we have a, a, you know, basically a proof of concept and a, uh, a, a protocol that we're testing out, a pilot in Puerto Rico, where there is a school that has installed a solar grid uh, to basically generate its own power and and provide that to the school and also sell it back to the group to the national grid um, and what we've built is a smart property system on top of that so that uh, lenders external to that can can essentially own the asset or can lend against can collateralize loans against that asset and as the school pays it down eventually it flips and the ownership shifts and that's something that you can start to automate um, through IoT devices and so forth, but you need a blockchain in the middle of it to allow for the sort of decentralized transfer of value. Um, it means that essentially, rather than having to um, depend upon the Puerto Rican government's lending capacity, borrowing capacity, which is very bad at the moment after its crisis, um, and have essentially political politically contingent financing for big infrastructure projects instead small entities can borrow anywhere in the world from smart you know from solar social impact investors and whoever who will own this asset that can be proven to be renewable as a resource and um, can be managed in this automated way to protect their investments and therefore maintain a, a low cost of financing so it's a it's a smart collateral system, and I think it's really exciting because it's it's potentially the way for us to unleash financing for small infrastructure projects like this all around the world, which we desperately need to do because basically we need to ramp up renewable uh, energy usage, and we need to do it from a bottom-up perspective, not a top-down perspective, and that's really what we're trying to do with that. Um, the other thing I'm doing, I've launched a company. I'm, I'm, I'm a media guy by training. I came out of journalism. I've done a lot of time uh, like this in front of a camera. Um, and, and so as a result, um, I'm, I'm also getting back into media. We're, we're launching a, a, basically a company called Streambed Media that is going to use certain aspects of blockchain and cryptocurrency technology to unlock financing and allow creators to more actively engage and incentivize their audiences and therefore build whole systems of value that don't depend upon the the, the Facebooks and the uh, YouTubes kind of uh, as, as distribution platforms that rather gets up, gets, it's a mechanism for, for, for value creation that's kind of independent of all of that. Is it similar to Brave or, or Brave Attention Token? There's, there's, there's certain similar principles to Brave. I'm a big fan of the, of the whole idea behind base, the basic asset token. I think that there's a really important principle there about how you can, there's a, there's a data exchange, the user deserves to be rewarded in some way for their attention 
Um, and there needs to be a lot more sort of reliable metrics around how that attention is being applied so that brands can pay the right price. Um, yeah, so a lot of our tech has similar thinking around that, but we're very much focused on combining crowdfunding, which is a way to bring investors who like content to also be you know, truly invested and have skin in the game and earn revenues for that. And NFTs, non-fungible tokens that you can redeem um, in return for uh, doing things that build the community, sharing and liking and being engaged. And so it's a way to build a network effect of value separately from the network that we're used to thinking about, the distribution platform. Very cool. No, that's really so. I'm I'm getting an um, understanding that the main usage of blockchain that you're focusing on somehow goes back to finances or or or, or economy. Um, is that the only usage that you think blockchain is going to have, or is that just what interests you because of your background and where you've been uh, focusing on? Um, I think everything financing is how you extract value, how you, it's the lubricant for everything. So inevitably, I think if you're going to do uh, business models that are going to fly, a financing piece is a great way to go. But if you think about um, both of those two examples I gave you, financing is one side of the equation. The other side is the verification of the data, right? So um, you can't lend against the solar microgrid unless you know that, that uh, the management of the data on the other end is it truly renewable energy that is that is how much has been generated and has the payment actually been made and who's it going to and so forth that data piece also needs to have veracity it needs to be proven and and data is like a currency so sort of managing you know sequences of data is something that that you can think of a blockchain doing so i kind of see the two things going together and the same applies to this streambed you know one key part of the streambed system is the is storing the data around the creator's rights. Who created it, what date, what's it about, and what are the payment terms that you would demand if somebody uses it, and storing that into an indelible setting like the IPFS and, uh, and a blockchain structure. Um, that's just not, that, that's one side of the equation. So yes, finance is critical. I'm always, I'm drawn to it, it's part of my background, but it's also, I think, the lubricant, as I say. But there's so much interesting stuff that also happens in terms of non-financial data veracity. And as we move into an IoT world with all these devices moving data back and forth, there's going to have to be a layer that uh, gives some truth to all of that without depending upon, again, some centralized entity sitting in the middle of all those billions of transactions. No, that makes sense. So I'm going to ask you one last question that I'm going to ask everybody, actually. And that is, I know that you're, you wanted to talk more about the technology and the blockchain behind it. But if you were to just choose one of the 2000 cryptocurrencies out there, which one is your favorite at the moment? Um, I just nodded. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the most unlikely guy to have on this show. I just don't like talking about the investor side of the coins. I don't like it. It's just not what I do. Um, I will say one thing, right? And that is that um, like the, the, the best coin um, may have nothing to do with the quality of the coin. It will have as much to do with the size of its community. Um, in the same way that um, you know VHS beat 
Betamax, right? Betamax was supposed to be a, a more superior technology, but more people were using the VHS standard, so that became the standard. Uh, I would argue, in this sense, you probably know where I'm going. I'm a believer in Bitcoin. I uh, don't think it's necessarily the ideal system for the world, but it has a far bigger, more engaged community, a much bigger network effect around it. Its critical mass is going to be just important. And I think it's very hard to go. If, if, if The one use case that I think Bitcoin has already proven and will just prove out even more is that it will be a competitor to digital gold, to, to gold. It will be the digital gold, that it will be a store of value. You know, people argue that because it's so volatile, it's not really a store of value. That's a sort of a temporal thing. I think from its 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 actual qualities in a digital sense are a far more superior version of gold. And therefore, because of this critical mass that I'm referring to, like, why is gold gold? Why wasn't it diamonds or something else? You know, it's a historical accident as much as anything else, right? It has all the qualities you want, fungibility, durability, all those things. But it was really just that it happened to become the standard. And so I think that Bitcoin's in a similar position. So I, I think that it's smart for people to own Bitcoin on that bet. As to all the other ones, I don't know. <laughs> um, right. so you're basically and I think also like betting on one single blockchain, right? Don't, don't think that there's going to be one smart contract solution for everything. I don't think it's going to work like that. There's going to be communities that are drawn to different structures. So in, in fact, one of the biggest bets may be on whichever systems are trying to figure out interoperability across those different platforms. And there's lots of those interoperability plays. The, 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 the answer may not be X blockchain, but X interoperability solution that allows us to move across more than one chain. That's really where the holy grail lies, I think. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, uh, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think block Bitcoin is the best by far, but you're kind of saying that the community behind it, and because it's already mainstream, is probably, and because it's got the brand, it's probably going to get stuck as a mainstream. My argue to that as well, we had uh, MySpace and then Facebook came and completely crushed it. But I mean, I, I understand also where you're coming from. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that you were able to make it today. Thank you so much to take time out of your busy day to be with us. And thank you everyone for joining us and watching. And then we'll see you on the block with the next guest next time. Can you make a silly face so that we can make it online? <laughs> Okay. That's I'm compliant. Is that okay if I use that for the thumbnail? If you like, yeah, it's fine. I mean, if, if you want to make another. That's fine, you can do that. That's okay. I'm, I'm happy with that. All right. I'd probably like to see what it looks like before I tell you actually, like, if it's really just horrible, then maybe. But I mean, as long as it doesn't look like I'm drunk, that's all. I don't want to be Nancy Pelosi out of this.